Welcome. This is Philippe Albuquerque. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. I am excited today to welcome Amanda Baker and Sandra Narayan discussing their manuscript entitled The Society of Neurointerventional Surgery, Position Statement on Pregnancy and Parental Leave for Physicians Practicing Neurointerventional Surgery. This manuscript is currently online on the JNIS website and will appear in the January issue of the JNIS. Prior to beginning our podcast, I'd like to read a word from our sponsors. Rapid Medical pioneers adjustable intravascular tools that offer physicians expanded capabilities without compromise between safety and efficacy. So if you're looking for devices to do a bit more for you, solutions such as the Tiger Retriever 13, the smallest thrombectomy device in use, adjust to the vessel, allowing you to relax tension of the device prior to retrieval. For more information, email info at rapid-medical.com. Amanda, Sandra, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Well, certainly this is uh, an important document and a timely document. So, Amanda, you stated that you performed a structured literature review regarding parental leave policies and neurointerventional surgery. As you allude to in the manuscript, there are a number of regulations and laws that date back to the 1938 Fair Labor Standards Act that have addressed some of these issues in the past. What I wanted to ask you at the outset was what what was particularly important now for the SNIS and for you as authors to address these issues at this time? What, What about this time is important for our field? Really, I've been inspired by more junior trainees asking me as I've gone through my training how it's possible to go into this field and have a family, as well as currently practicing neurointerventionalists who share stories, particularly through the Women in Neurointervention group, that include hiding pregnancies or being pregnant at the expense of asking for more radiation, uh, stories like this. And in general, medicine in the United States is a very difficult place to start and have a family. And it's a lot less flexible than many other industries by its nature. And it's hard enough to be a working parent, whether male, female, birthing, non-birthing. And so for our specialty in particular, I think that not accepting the status quo and advancement is exactly the nature of the field. And our specialty is at the cutting edge of new technologies, procedures, life-saving treatments. And so I felt that we also needed to be at the cutting edge of policy and trends within medicine. And right now, the trend is to break down barriers. Certainly. And I, I think that those those barriers are, are certainly ones that we see in front of us, but are also quite subtle. And that as a man, I don't really see what uh, some of those barriers are. They're fairly subtle. You mentioned that family-friendly policies will have the secondary effects of increasing the number of women within the specialty. I'm wondering if if you, Sandra, could discuss some of the overt as well as overlooked impediments 
to women entering our subspecialty? Well, I can, I can say that there is this pressure to always conform. And, um, you know, women who self-select into a highly rigorous and lengthy primary residency, whether that be radiology or neurosurgery or extend their um, graduate training through multiple fellowships, such as what interventional neuroradiology, interventional neurology or endovascular neurosurgery eventually requires, feel this pressure to do more than their male counterparts in order to prove themselves just because they are relatively newer to the field and they will be judged most likely by a double standard. They have to work harder to stay in place. And even if they were to become pregnant during their training or in their early careers, there's this pressure to still work harder, to not take time off, which is really studies have shown and observations have shown in practice this is detrimental for the parent, the family, the child, even before birth. And so we're not really doing our societies a service over time. We're not doing our future trainees a service over time that really demonstrates this is a sustainable environment uh, for the mental or physical health of our female trainees, even if they don't choose that lifestyle for themselves, uh, pregnancy during training or pregnancy during early career. So we want to create policies that allow a more broader view of tolerance, that there is a feeling of acceptance that our female trainees, all things being equal, are granted the same degrees of laxity to be as free to make mistakes in learning as their male trainees at similar stages in in training and not be judged more harshly, to be allowed to take time off to care for their newborn and family during training or during their early career years, if necessary. And uh, Resolution 13 was passed in May, May 11th. This was heavily lobbied for by the American College of Radiology, and this allows for 12 weeks of unpaid family leave. And I think that's a great victory that hopefully more and more women um, radiologists and, and women non-radiologists will um, take advantage of in our field. But I think that having that support in the background is essential for our community to slowly change the mindset that women have to work harder in this particular field when they make the decision to become pregnant and still hang on to their career at that time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you, Sandra. I think it, it really is all about the work environment and the, and the comfort level that's created for those that are, that are really doing the absolute hardest work, and that's our, that's our fellows and, and our trainees. It just, you know, looking over the manuscript, what would you say are the major position points that we should take as a society in our field to make this a better environment uh, for women and to increase our our level of diversity? I think that it's really important to recognize that 
This document is meant to provide guidance. As we advance in medicine, there isn't always structured training on how to be a good manager. And I think as more and more women are going into medicine and more and more women are going into neurointerventional surgery, this is supposed to be a helpful document to explain that there are policies in place in other specialties, but also, you know, state and federal laws that protect uh, pregnant women and protect the ability to breastfeed, for example. But I think it's also helpful to know that being pregnant in neurointervention is biology and it has nothing to do with career motivation or dedication. And so I think that should be taken into account. I think it's also helpful in the increasing ways of having children, whether it be a birthing or non-birthing parent. Many couples are now two physician households. And so whether the birthing or non-birthing parent, I think it's difficult for both parents. And I think this document is meant to help both birthing and non-birthing parents, men and women, and really be inclusive of everyone beyond just the pregnant female in the field. Yeah. I thought that sentence in which you refer to parental leave being perceived as a lack of commitment to the profession, I think really speaks to the inherent problems in our in our current workplace that, that really only can be remedied by um, diversification. I mean, these, these are kind of old, perceived, fairly subtle standards that, we, that we've held our, our subspecialty to for, for many years. And I, I, I'm really a firm believer that the only way to, to change those perceptions and change our work environment is, is really through diversification and, and understanding some of the challenges that, um, that certainly women and pregnant women face in our field. I, I kind of wanted to get down to the nuts and bolts of, of one issue that I think really kind of cuts to the, the crux of the matter. And that's that really is the, the comfort that I think the pregnant neurointerventionalist faces when she needs to make others aware of her pregnancy. Perhaps Amanda or Sandra, you can address this. I mean, because this is a kind of a multi-pronged issue. I mean, certainly the pregnant interventionalist wants to make sure that the hospital is prepared for her pregnancy, that the radiation, that the angio suite is prepared, and that all the precautions have been taken. But certainly there are issues of of her privacy. Perhaps you guys can address these uh, these questions. Well, I think that the situation is very variable in each individual's angio suite and is also, as all politics are local, dependent on the um, structure, the support, or relative fragility of an individual's 
call coverage system and what can happen to perceived changes in the pregnant individual's ability to carry on. The woman who's pregnant can carry on uh, as if nothing has changed, as as one knows, um, but that may not be the perception of those around her. So that can certainly influence the desire to disclose if you don't have the adequate support system from your colleagues or if you're in training from your fellowship director right from the beginning. So I think Amanda's experience during pregnancy may be very different during my experience in pregnancy. I um, had my two pregnancies during my uh, early career years and I chose not to disclose until I was four months and five months pregnant respectively until I felt that I was in a very secure environment uh, related to both work as well as the pregnancies. And and perhaps Amanda can share how hers was different. Exactly. I, I disclosed, you know, my pregnancy pretty early in order to get a fetal dosimeter. And I think that the other takeaway from this document is to empower women to feel comfortable to be able to disclose their pregnancies earlier. And I think Sandra's story is one that inspired me because it's really in the best interest to record radiation throughout your pregnancy and take all of the precautionary measures um, that is possible. And that will improve a female's comfort level. And It will also improve the workplace environment and the perception that it is negative to be pregnant or may suggest that the pregnant female is not dedicated to the field. I think if more women are use this document to give them that sense of confidence, we can really change the field. Certainly. You discuss as well in the manuscript some of the points regarding, you know, creating the supportive environment for the mother that has just given birth in terms of breastfeeding, in terms of postnatal appointments, things like that. Perhaps you can discuss in a little bit more detail, uh, you know, what, what do we need to change Um, within the structure of our our fellowships or our training programs to ensure that women have these availabilities? Well, I think one of the things that individuals who are working with recently pregnant individuals, um, those on uh, maternity leave, those who have just come back and are having to take their children to appointments um, it recognize the obvious oh my child has a, an appointment my child has um, a hospitalization etc but then there is the constant need that is less uh, visible to those in management and I'm speaking about um, lactation and breastfeeding you know I don't want to discuss uh, really the relative importance of of breastfeeding versus not. That's a very personal choice for mother and family, but um, that is um, absolutely a 
viable choice and for as long as um, a family chooses, but building the nuts and bolts into how that will work into return to workplace and allowing breaks, not just a physical private place for that to occur, is um, something that is a little challenging to do, particularly when you talk about procedural fields where um, there are emergency procedures and uh, long procedures and those in which um, you may be outside of a place where there's um, ability to to take a, a break and run to a private room. So I think having a little bit more structured guidance about the right to have Um, lactation-ready places and um, breaks and a woman's right to be able to carry on uh, breastfeeding is something that is alluded to in parental leave documents from multiple societies, including ours, um, but may need to be fleshed out in order to be most supportive to our membership. I personally found that to be um, most challenging when returning to work. Sure. Sandra, while I have you here, perhaps you can say a little bit about the Women in Neuro Intervention Committee. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the projects and the work that you guys have been doing recently. Sure. The Women in Neuro Intervention Committee is a very robust subgroup in the Society of Neurointerventional Surgery, and we have um, met uh, virtually, uh, periodically, uh, over the last few years to have um, initiatives um, that contribute to us getting to know one another. It's not just for women. Any member of the society is welcome to join. Some of these include discussions of books that relate to professional initiatives that have to do with work-life balance, have to do with managing um, stress at work, have to do with um, uh, a particular feature of the nature of the the work that we do. Um, So uh, recently we uh, were going through the Harvard Business Review's Women at Work series and uh, discussing a book on emotional intelligence. Uh, We have cocktail hours and some of those are overlap with the book clubs. Um, So that can be interesting. We're looking at having invited speakers um, come and um, speak to us virtually on three to four times per year basis. This past year at the SNIS annual meeting, we had our first uh, Women in Neurointervention Leadership Workshop, and we had two invited speakers um, talk in morning and afternoon sessions on different aspects related to negotiation, uh, emotional intelligence, public speaking, uh, interacting with others at different levels, presenting your best self in professional environments. And I think it was very well received. We had trainees, we had early career, mid-career, late career individuals, both domestic and international attendees. We had colleagues from industry and the interactions between small groups and large groups uh, was very well received. So we've been having invited speakers uh, on an annual basis. The previous year's keynote speaker was um, giving a negotiations talk, and I think that was very well received by both men and women attending. So these are some of the initiatives we're doing. We're looking to have travel 
uh, grants for trainees and international attendees so that we can sort of uh, encourage more uh, attendance from those who might not otherwise be able to make our annual meeting. Fantastic work, Sandra, and I applaud you and, and Amanda and congratulate you on this manuscript, which is entitled The Society of Neurointerventional Surgery Position Statement on Pregnancy and Parental Leave for Physicians Practicing Neurointerventional Surgery. This manuscript is currently on the JNIS website and will appear in the print issue in January. Amanda and Sandra, thank you so much for not only producing this uh, important manuscript, but for um, the important work that you're doing in advancing uh, diversity in our field. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us.